Welcome to today's episode of Fire in the Belly. This is where we get to hear some pretty inspiring stories from some amazing people. You know, it's always an absolute pleasure to sit down, take time out and have a warts and all conversation about their journey. I'm always intrigued by what it's taken for people to get to where they are today. And hopefully in this interview, we get to hear some more about that. From this, my mission is to help people to find their own fire in their belly. And from that, to live the mightiest version of you. So without further ado, sit back, relax, and enjoy today's guest. Success is a process, not an event. Hello and welcome to Fire in the Belly. Today we'll have myself, Mighty Pete, and we're joined by the Mo Barrett. Good afternoon to you. Good evening. Good afternoon, I should say. Yes. Yeah, good. Just good day, right? I good lost day. track of all time. Yeah. <laughs> Well, this is the beauty of being Zooming all over the world. We get to meet right? in different time zones, anytime and any place. So good day to you. So yes, yes. So, Mo, it's an absolute awesome. pleasure to have you on the show. Thank you so much for coming on. So, uh, Oh, thanks for letting me come on. This is this is going to be a thrill. I'm excited. Well, listen, that's what it's all about. That's what it's all about. Right? So, Mo, tell us, who are you? What do you do? And where are you from? Who am I? Let's see. Well, let's start with where I'm from. I'm actually in the D.C. area from Northern Virginia originally, so born and raised, uh, kind of went around the world in the Air Force, and I'm back and retired. Um, but now I'm an anecdotist, which is basically a fancy word for storyteller, and I use my anecdotes to help people laugh, learn, and think in that order. Hmm. Wow, okay. What's what's the qualifications of an anecdotist? Is it just life be to, to, to live? So, Someone who has an anecdote, and I think everybody, and I, I th- I've heard you say this as well, but everybody's got a story, right? Everybody's got something they're passionate about, and everybody's got a story, and um, I'm no different. So I just use my stories and help f- people find the, the magic in those mundane mundane moments. Wow. I'm looking forward to this. Tell us. <laughs> Me too. What, <laughs> what does fire in the belly mean to you then? Well, as a pilot, uh, it means land the plane. Uh, as a uh, hot sauce aficionado, it means um, maybe stop eating the hot sauce. But I think in terms of what you're looking for, it's it's that drive and that determination, that focus, that thing, again, that lights you up in the, in the literal sense, right? The thing that just gets you out of bed and lights you up. And, um, you know, there's days when you want to sleep in and there's days when you're getting up to do the thing that you want to do. And that's the fire in the belly that's getting you out of bed. Do you have it? Have you always had it? I've always had it. I just didn't, um, I think I was kind of, uh, what's, I'm trying to think of the, the fireman term for it. I think I was always trying to kind of extinguish it in a little bit because I always knew that I was a little bit different. Um, but I, I think the thing that makes somebody passionate or, or somebody's fire in their belly is what makes them unique. And we're all unique. Thank God. Just like you were saying before is that, um, thank God we're all a little bit different. And we look at things from a, just a little perspective, a little bit different perspective, but, um, so yeah, I think I've always had it. I just have finally learned to embrace it and, um, just accept it and now start to leverage it. Well, I mean, so in the background for anyone that's listening to this today in your background, you have your book. So it's pardon my quirk. And I, well, first of all, what a fantastic title. So <laughs> tell us, I mean, introduce the book first. What's it all about? So part of my quirk is, you know, as a speaker, you're supposed to have a speaker book. And so this really started out as, let me just get my speaker book so I have my door opening tool. Um, but one of the things I loved about it is as a storyteller, I started realizing that your stories have a different 
they just have a different taste and a different flavor in the written form, in the pre-recorded form, and in the delivered live form. And so it was a really fascinating um, project that I was doing something that was just, I kind of had to get it done as a speaker, but I really enjoyed the process. And it was one of those things where just realizing the different evolutions of one story. Um, and so the, the, it's this book is 43 anecdotes, if you will, uh, of my life. And sometimes they're just mundane moments. Sometimes there are moments when I'm lazy, but it's just finding the lessons in those sometimes humorous, hopefully humorous events that happen to us all the time. Because that's one of your things, right? I mean, it's, it's just, it's it's the it's the non-conformist, if you like, as well. You're sort of saying yeah. you're just, I mean, well, it's kind of interesting coming from a, you know, coming from a, a, you know, an Air Force background. So that's structure, that's discipline, that's routine, conforming, right? right. And then you come out of that and you go, yeah, I'm going to go the other way, right? <laughs> so kind yeah, of just, yeah. I've just realized that because I've been conforming for so long, now I'm going to be non-conforming and I'm going to celebrate that, right? Is that, is it? Is yeah. Polar opposite is that? Do you think it's a little bit like that? Uh, so when I actually was joining, was was first even applying to go into the Air Force Academy, I remember being at my um, the medical evaluation board, and it's it's really it's just a formality, and so it's just kind of make sure you got your heartbeat, no heart murmur, blood pressure, all those things. And at the very end, this guy with this clipboard, he's just just the final questions, and he says, uh, "Any illegal drug use?" I'm like, "Nope." Okay. Any criminal record? Okay. Any problems with homosexuality? And I'm like, uh, well, <laughs> at the time, it was illegal to be gay and in the military. And I'd known I was gay since I was four. So you could say I had a fire in my belly for other women, I guess. But um, uh, the question he asked me, though, was, do you have any problems with homosexuality? And in my head, I'm thinking, no, I'm very good at it. But I, I kind of knew what he was getting at. So I just said, no. I don't have any problems with homosexuality. And it was one of those things where it was just a reminder very early on that I was different, but we're all different. And I also think that part of my rationale for answering the way I did, even though I knew what the intent of the question was, is that all these different labels that can define us are, are just a part of what we are and who we are but we are more than those labels. So I knew I was more than gay, more than half Asian, more than female, more than from a military family, all those different things that we used to label ourselves, that I was more than just those individual labels. And so it was one of those things where there was something that kind of made me quirky or maybe illegal, but I was bigger than that. And I knew I had a future as an Air Force officer and as a leader, and that was something that was important to me. So that was one of those times when I kind of suppressed that quirky aspect of me, but, um, I think all those things that make us different actually are what make us different in the best possible ways. So we have this this great perspective and a, and a synergy in what we all contribute to each other and to the to the bigger, greater world, if you will. Mm. Uh, has that changed now? I'm assuming it has, but I just sometimes just ask the, ask the obvious question. Yeah, no, it, it has. Um, in effect, in my career span, I roughly 30 years in the Air Force. From the time I went in into the Air Force Academy, it was illegal. And then right as I was graduating and becoming a, a commissioned officer, it was we had the don't ask, don't tell policy. And it was 
yeah, you can be gay. We just kind of don't want to know about it. And let's just kind of keep it on the down low, the ish, I'm, I'm paraphrasing. Mm. Um, and then that re- that was repealed in 2011. And then in 2013, it became legal to be have same-sex marriages in the military. So in my career span of roughly 30 years, I went from it being illegal to I um, ended up being married and my partner, who was also an Air Force colonel, retired with my last name. So in one career span, and that kind of shows you how quickly the the U.S. military kind of evolved or that policy went through, um, it went from being illegal to I have a wife who's got the same last name as me. We both retired from the Air Force with the same last name. Mm. It's a bit of a proud moment there. There's a nice smile on your face when you said that. That someone would marry me? Yes, you're right. It's a very proud moment. <laughs> Congratulations. <laughs> yeah, thank you. No, it's amazing, isn't it, to actually to have gone through yeah. that, I suppose. And, and you know, you kind of hope that that's just a, a, a past historic event. You're kind of going, yeah, mm-hmm. that was just a moment back then. Thankfully, life is here now, so we've moved on, right? Yeah. Yep. You know? Yeah. What did, the, what did the Air Force teach you then? What did you learn when you were there? biggest thing I learned from the Air Force was confidence um, and not just confidence in yourself and your own talents, but confidence in the people around you. I think a lot of times you have managers who kind of uh, are afraid to delegate or it's not that they're afraid to delegate. They just don't because they have this control freak. And it's like, you know, if you want a job done right, you're going to do it yourself. And the Air Force and especially the Air Force Academy taught me that um, you got to trust the people on either side of you uh, to do their part of the job because, again, you're better together. Um, so it's confidence in myself, confidence in my own talents, recognition of my own talents, and also my deficiencies, but also confidence in the people around you. Mm. That's beautiful, isn't it? I mean, it's almost, you know, confidence in your deficiencies. I mean, that's a beautiful life lesson right there. It's saying, listen, yeah you know, we're all imperfect and that's okay. You know, it's, it's mm-hmm. okay to be imperfect. In fact, celebrate it. And, and sort of the more, you know, your weaknesses, that makes you stronger, right? Yeah. Yep. Yeah, absolutely. So tell me then, I mean, you, you then you've moved on and like, say you've gone into well, writing books amongst other things, but the one strap line that comes out for a lot of the people there is your laugh, learn, think. So can you introduce that to us for us? What does that mean for you? Laugh, learn, think is just, it's, for me, it's my, my secret sauce recipe. And I think that especially right now, we need laughter more than ever. Um, I, my father suffered from Alzheimer's and he had it for about eight years. And so my mom was his primary caregiver. And there were times when you couldn't do anything else. I mean, you wanted to cry, you wanted to throw things. um, And it was just one of these things where, sometimes all you could do is laugh. And I remember being able to laugh with my dad. That was a thing that bonded us together and just kind of made everything okay in a moment that wasn't otherwise okay. Uh, I remember one time I was going to help my mom and to get him into bed was a a fairly big ordeal. By the time he had kind of lost a lot of weight, he was down to like 170 uh, pounds. I I won't do the Mm -hmm. kilograms uh, Mm -hmm. conversion, Um, but still a big guy. And my mom's a small Asian woman. So I would give my dad a big hug and I would lift him out of his wheelchair and pivot him onto the bed. And I remember one time I did that and he just kind of panicked when I did that this one time and he clinched his legs around my leg and I 
I was kind of like stuck holding my dad in the air and the whole goal was to get him into bed. So I just kind of continued with that motion. Uh, and long story short, I ended up kind of laying on top of my dad on my parents' bed. And I was telling my dad, I'm like, dad, you got to let go. I said, this is inappropriate. He goes, why? May's not here. Like May's my mom. And I'm thinking, that's not why this is inappropriate. And she is right there. I, I said, I'm your daughter. That's why this is inappropriate. And he goes, oh, and he lets go. And it was one of those things where I, I think there's times when you can just get so frustrated by that experience or just so saddened by that experience. And I just looked at my mom and we started laughing. We started laughing so hard that we were crying. And then my dad started laughing. He didn't know why. But there's a there's a nice equalizing um, benefit of laughter. And I think it, it kind of disarms you a little bit. So that's why laughter has to come first for me. Um, the learning part is, I think, because I've always been kind of considered a, a clown, if you will, um, I like to sneak that learning part in there. Mm. And then when you're disarming somebody with some laughter, then kind of sneak a little life lesson. Like, what's the thing you can take away or what's the thing I take away from that given experience? And then kind of leave people thinking. It's just kind of like, you know, you want to walk away and having released some endorphins by laughing. And then all of a sudden people go, I'm still thinking about you on top of your dad and how that was funny somehow. And if you can laugh through that, then I can laugh through this, whatever this is. So mm. um, that's kind of the genesis behind laughing and learning and thinking. But I grew up in a household. We were always laughing. And um, and that that's very formative and that's very powerful. And I saw the power of that. And just try to keep I mean, there's days when it's not easy to laugh though you know that too so yeah what do you think i mean is that a tool you know is the tool we should all have just the ability just to just to stop a moment and look at the bizarreness of the situation or just the the, the, the place that you find yourself i mean is it a skill to be able to laugh at that point in time i think i think there are two separate skills i think the ability to stop and almost separate yourself from the situation that you're in is important. If it's a positive situation, it's important to step back and have gratitude and appreciation for that moment. Uh, my best friend calls them perfect moments. Like when you just stop and go, look at where we are. We're, we're in this magical place and we're, we're spending time with someone we care about and just taking that moment to recognize. So you have to separate yourself from it. And when things are really bad, I think it's important to separate and say, all right, this sucks, but it's going to get better. And, you know, right, right now, this is just a moment in time that sucks. So I think it's number one, it's that, that recognition to be able to, to just stop and separate and recognize the, the situation. Then the laughter time is, I mean, I mean, there's times when it's probably not appropriate to laugh, and that's usually when you laugh the most. But um, laughter is one of those things you can use to cope, or laughter is one of those things that you can use to kind of relieve that stress. But to me, they're kind of separate tools to to recognize and then to use laughter. Because I, I think not everybody can can find the funny in that moment until you kind of separate. But uh, yeah, so to me, they're kind of two separate tools. Because mm. that's the thing. I mean, you, God forbid, you know, it, it's it's the enormity of some of those emotional situations. It, it, it shouldn't be something we have to deal with day to day. So you either choose to process that emotion in some form and laughter is, is a very valid way of doing it, or what's the opposite, right? You don't laugh and that's almost worse, mm -hmm. you know, and the, the long-term effect, right? Yeah. I have a, I always tell people, um, find your blooper reel. Um, 
I apologize if there's banging. My neighbors are, uh, there's a new house being constructed next door and they are framing and shingling as we speak. Um, but it's a warts and all conversation, right? So yeah, absolutely. Um, uh, and then I lost my track. <laughs> we were saying about the appropriateness of laughing in the times of where we don't laugh oh, oh. and that, that itself is an issue. Right. Thank you. I, I, I tell people to find their blooper reel. Um, having read your bio and some of the things, I understand you suffer from depression and I, I do as well. And um, there are times when I am so down in the dumps and sometimes I can't separate enough from that and it's a struggle. But the one thing I can always do is I have this one YouTube link and it's like maybe 15 minutes of bloopers. And it's for some reason, it's just news anchors uh, or weather reporters and their bloopers. And for whatever reason, when I'm down in the dumps, even if I can't separate, even if I can't find the funny, if I watch this blooper reel, that's what makes me laugh. And once I'm laughing, then I can start separating and, and getting away from that moment. That's just, you know, I think it's just the, the end of the world is coming. So I tell people, find your blooper reel because maybe you won't be able to laugh at the situation you're in and maybe you can't get separated enough from the situation you're in. But if you find something that's going to make you laugh, whether it's kittens falling asleep or, or dogs fighting or whatever it is, um, save that in your favorites and and just have the wherewithal to just get yourself to that computer and hit hit play. Um, and for some reason, my for me, it's blooper reels. It's news anchors who can't stop laughing or something happens. And uh, I'm always laughing by the end of it. And it has it has never failed me in the I don't know, maybe 10 years I've been using it. That's awesome. I mean, it's, it's wonderful advice, you know, to actually separate you from yourself, right? You know, because there's mm -hmm. that thing when we get locked in our head, we are totally blinkered where eyes down, it's like focus on one thing only. And you're like, yeah, but you're completely, you know, you're, you're, you're completely missing everything here by being yeah. stuck down this rabbit hole, right? Is it, yeah. do you, you find obviously that was a useful technique for you, is it to, to try and bring it out, bring you outside of yourself or just to break your pattern? It's more to break the pattern. Yeah. My, my blooper reel is just, it just to get me on my phone. Cause so, I mean, I don't know about you, but sometimes I get in such a depressive funk that it's just this downward spiral. And the more you think about it, the more you perseverate about it. And then you just get deeper and deeper and it just gets darker and darker. And that's the only thing it may not get me out of the hole, but for some reason, when I, when I find a way to make myself laugh and that's been the only tool, consistent tools that blooper reel, but um, finding myself and giving myself a way to laugh. And I think there's a chemical endorphin relief as well. That's, that's at play, but it may not get me out of the hole, but it gets me out of the slump. And, and, and I think that's the start of that process to help you then get separated from it. Do you know what, I mean, cause I personally, I talk about depression as being more, it's a, it's a symptom, not a cause, right. You know, so you can't catch it. You don't, you don't tend to right. sort of, you know, sort of, oh, dear, I just somebody sneezed and I caught depression, you know, right? <laughs> it, 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 it's a trigger from something else in life that then snowballs and then shows up as this symptom, right? Is yeah. that is that your take on it? I mean, is what what, we, what way do you think of it? You know, I, I don't. I don't really know. I, I lean more toward there's some sort of biological chemical imbalance because I remember when I would have these uh, depression episodes and I look at my life when I'm able to separate, I'm like, I have nothing to be mm -hmm. depressed about. Like I, um, 
you know, I was listening to your TED talk too. You were talking about your toothache. Actually, one question I had for you was, did you act, was it, you said the tooth, the toothache was a metaphor. Did you actually have a tooth pulled out or pull it out yourself? Or was that, oh, you no kidding, did. Okay. I was just curious. <laughs> for the benefit of the but, listeners, I do have a gap in my mouth where there should be a tooth. And uh, I just have never got around to filling that gap as such. But also it's a good reminder to me, you know, that's the one thing. Well, so. sure, 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 sure. Yeah. And, it, and it's, um, yeah. But for me, when I looked at, like, I, I had the toothache without a bad tooth, if you will. I guess that's mm. to carry the, the metaphor, the analogy or whatever it is. But I had nothing in my life. I, I was I was living very well. I had uh, I had nothing about. You know, nothing to depress about it. Great upbringing, great friends, great family, um, great job. And so for me, it felt like more of a chemical issue. So when I when I got medicated, um, it, it seemed to fix those things. And um, I have moments. But for me, it was more of a chemical thing and, and less about any triggering thing that it was a symptom of. Yeah, yeah. And that's the thing, right? Because it is, uh, and I know for me, and just, you know, going on the medication, that's what they were saying is like, listen, you could be 100% better, but the problem is whilst the chemical imbalance, which takes, it doesn't just change overnight, it takes time for the body right. to process those chemicals. So by getting medicated, it is just helping to correct that imbalance, which then mm -hmm. allows you to sort of snap out of that episode, you know, or or sort of put the odds in your favor, more or less, right. you know. You know, that's a which, good way of putting it yeah yeah and that's it right you know so and that, that's the one thing because i used to be as like no nah, i don't want the drugs don't want the drugs don't want the drugs and like you will get there yourself eventually but do you really want to leave it for another 12 months 18 months two years three years five years right and then yeah. if you're having a bad day compounded on top of that imbalance then you know yeah. it's just not a good recipe to, to be there really yep yep you know? what for you um what were you like as a child? What was Minnie Mo like? <laughs> um, I, I was actually a good kid. I mean, I think, I, like, I I remember I never had a like as a kid, um, as a as a young adult, I never had a curfew. My my, my parents just said, you know, if you're gonna be out past midnight, call us. If you want to sneak out of the house, just tell us. It was like this. They kind of deflated all the the fun illegal stuff i could do I, I went to go i don't know if you guys have this in ireland but um we call it rolling a house you take toilet paper and you throw it in the tree i don't know why we do this but you need to, you go to someone's yard and you take toilet paper rolls of toilet paper and you throw it in their yard and you teepee someone's house that's what we called it um i wanted to go do that one night um with some friends and my mom gave me the toilet paper like you, you know so it's just like I don't know. It was just I, I I feel like I was a good kid, but I feel like it was a it was also a blend of respecting what my parents were asking and respecting the fact that I lived under the roof and then uh, just kind of going from there. But um, yeah, like I said, no curfew. If I wanted to go TP a house, mom gave me the you know the the rough toilet paper, so I didn't waste the good stuff. But um, yeah, so I I think I was a good kid. I I I meant well. I tried well. Um, tried hard <laughs> that's like nothing significant to report but that's and that's this is the one thing right when it's everything's good or okay you know uh, sometimes when we don't have these massive tragedies or traumas and all the rest right it can be then we we get totally confused saying later on in life i should i shouldn't feel this way because i can't right. point to that event right so it's right to have beautiful parents like that that just uh, you know 
manage you, uh, I suppose, encourage you and not an obviously, but encourage you in the sense of being a person, being the best version of you right. um, to then come back later on to, to then it's, it's different, right? Very different. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, and it's funny you talk about um, like having a good childhood and just having a good upbringing and, and not having that be the, the cause, if you will, of, of any depressive incidents I have. But another thing about like writing this book, and, and I remember even right before I went on stage for, for my TEDx, my speaking coach went to me and I was the last speaker. I think there was 13 of us and I was the last speaker. And she stood with me backstage. She did some breathing exercises with me and she looked me in the eye and she goes, listen, there have been 12 speakers who have talked about rape, have talked about child abuse, have talked about domestic abuse, have talked about suicide. And in your presentation, there are none of those things. So just go out there and enjoy the experience and tell your stories, which was great, which is really, really powerful to go out there and just realize that, God, these people just needed a break from death and domestic abuse and suicide and, and child you know, violence and all these things. But then when I started going to write my book, I'm like, why am I writing a book? Because I don't have any stories of suicide or death or child abuse or domestic violence, you know, but again, I think everybody's got a story and there's all these lessons and these opportunities in everyday life to be better versions of ourselves. So my book isn't about any one significant negative thing that happened. It's just a compilation of everyday events that have learning points. Hmm. I think that's beautiful, right? Absolutely beautiful because there's a great expression, which I, I don't know, it always just pulls me up each time. I mean, it is, you know, your voids are your values, right? You know, for a lot of hmm. people and that's, when they speak we speak about something that we it's meant a lot to us and quite often it's meant a lot to us and it becomes our values because it has been avoiding our life as you say god forbid any of those events happen in, in any of our lives it then becomes a very significant event and then when we succeed in um processing that in some shape or form then we want to share that with the world you know right. and saying is that a genuine sharing or is this a celebration of your void you know, and I often think that mm. it's, it's a fine line, right? Because sometimes people write right. a book and it's going, have you written the book for everyone else? Have you written for you? You know? Right. The cathartic experience of writing it all yeah. out. Yeah. Yeah. You know, because I know when, when I wrote my own book there, it was, it was just that, the, you know, the editor I was working with, they asked that question straight out. Who's this book for? You know, do mm. you need to get this out of your system? You know, is that, is that the primary aim here? And if it is, that's okay. You right. know, because it's it's a form of therapy in certain form. And if it means, you know, you, you put it down in a couple of hundred pages and stick it on a on a bookshelf, then and that's gonna feel better for you, then that's a success. Right. Or is it a is it a toolkit for others to pick up, you know? So right. for you, I mean, well, what triggered the book? I mean, what what was your you know, when did you sort of think, God, this is this would be great. Let's try and put it in the book and let's let's get our head around it. So one of the things I've been doing is I've been going through my parents' house and just kind of helping clean up some stuff and just declutter. And one of the things I came across was this old blue spiral bound notebook. And it on the cover, it said, my creative writing journal. It was my handwriting, no date on it, but I opened it up and there's like a table of contents, all in my handwriting, page after page, there's a table of contents. And then there's all these stories. And I hmm. thought, well, this is interesting. I, I mean, I had to, I, I'm guessing based on the handwriting, um, was maybe seven or eight. 
But I looked at the title and the table of contents and I flipped to the stories and I thought, I wonder if my parents maybe gave me like a writing assignment every day and they say, write on this. But, the, but then some of the stories were titled, If I Were a Moron. And I thought, no, I don't think this is my parents um, giving me writing assignments. Um, so I, I've actually been writing down stories and I think it's really fascinating to find that book. And initially when I wanted to write this book, I wanted to have those kind of pages be almost like watermarks in the back mm. and just kind of write over them. Uh, but it, it would have probably taken too much ex explanation. Um, but yeah, so I have this, my, my first book, if you will, was this spiral bound notebook from when I was seven or eight and I've been collecting stories. And when I'm alone in the car, I practiced telling jokes and I practiced telling my stories. So I've always wanted a way to capture this. And what was fascinating about this process again is that the story is different when you write it down in story form for a book. It's different when you write it in a social media post format. It's different when you pre-record it for a book. It's different when you use it in a workshop. It's different when you use it as a keynote. Um, but I, I, finding that book made me realize, I, I guess I've always wanted to write a book. And then it wasn't until, you know, you're, you're, you're a speaker and they're like, well, you need a speaker's book. You need the book you need to hand out. And then I got back into it and then kind of finding that along the, the way, I was like, oh, this is kind of cool. I'm writing the book that is some in some form or fashion in much childish, more childish fashion is in that spiral bound notebook. But just kind of these just quirky little stories about me giving myself assignments. If I were a moron, if I were a dwarf, I mean, these are the kind of things that were in that, that spiral bound notebook. So hasn't changed much. What was the conclusion? If I was a moron, what would happen? I just said I wouldn't. I wouldn't like myself very much, and I mean, it was just. I mean, nothing deep from an eight-year-old, that's for sure. But it was just like, if I were a moron, I would be very careful about what I said to people. I wouldn't like myself very much because I was a moron. <laughs> so. Yes, isn't it beautiful though that the thought process of a uh, you know of that age group, right? Because we we see life in in very matter of fact. I mean, we could learn a hell of a lot from seven and eight-year-olds. You know. Absolutely. I, mean, I have a, a five-year-old at the moment and, you know, the, the crystal clarity she's, she's life with. And it's like, am I teaching yep. you or are you teaching me? I can never quite yep. tell sometimes. Well, don't they say that? I mean, kids, kids laugh like 300 times a day versus adults. It's like seven or 17 or something like that. And yeah. kids are so much more creative and kids are so much, um, they're just so much f more free because I don't think we've, they, they just, they haven't learned the constraints of society to, to control what they think. And I think that's a beautiful thing. I don't have kids, but I, I mean, the fact, you know, I've witnessed it from what you're, you're talking about, too. Yeah, it's just, they're just free to be, which, I mean, I always think, right. you know, that that's, it is around, it seems that sort of seven, eight year old age gap where we, we disconnect from being ourselves to be a version that is easier to get on with in life, you know, and it, whether right. it is a case of saying the right thing, well, then suddenly we have a split between who we are and who we truly are, you yeah. know, and, and I suppose one thing I've learned from speaking to people for the show is that until we collapse that gap, the gap of the role we play, the who we are for different things, until we collapse that and, and at least reduce the gap and, and try and between who I am and who I choose to be. Um, mm -hmm. until that gap's closed, then we're always going to be a bit stuck. I mean, how's that gap yep. for you? Are you, are you close to who you truly are? And do you, do you know who you truly are? 
So I'm a lot closer now than when I was in the military. Um, that was another thing is um, even before I was going to apply to the military, and even when I was going through high school and then even while I was in the military, I always knew that my first response was probably not the most appropriate. It probably wasn't the, the cleanest and it probably wasn't the most politically correct and it probably wasn't the most appropriate for the situation. But um, my dad was very quick witted and I think I picked up some of that from him. Uh, whether it's by nurture or nature. But um, I always knew that my first response wasn't the one that should come out of my mouth. And after I, I retired from the military, and I remember being at a speaking event, um, it, it was a training session, and we were doing improv games, and which I've come to love. But I went up to the, the coaches, I went up to the three coaches and I said, I'm a little concerned. I said, I'm the only person in this group and I don't know the rest of the group. And you're asking me to say the first thing that comes to my mind without any filter. I said, I'm afraid I might cuss. I'm afraid I might say something inappropriate. And they go, yes, please. I mean, the whole idea is yes and go. I'm like, so it's okay if I cuss. Or like, yeah, I'm like, there's, I may say some, I don't know what's going to come out of my mouth, but um once I had that permission almost to to accept it and to know that, again, it, like your podcast, it's a judgment-free area and it's a safe mm -hmm. space where just because that's the first thing I say, that's not my, my belief in life. It's just that's the first thing that came into my mind as a contribution to this improv scene. Um, I could never have done that in the military. So for three decades, I had to stifle my first and sometimes second and third responses and now I'm in this environment. And again, I still I still filter what I say. Um, but anything that I say now reflects on me and not on a larger organization of national defense. So, uh, you know, I that gap is closing between who I want to portray myself to be and who I and who I think I am. Um, now, I'm still figuring out who I am, but I definitely know that I'm much I'm in much better alignment with who I, who I really am. Cause that's, what's coming out of my mouth. And, and there's a certain liberation, liberating effect that, um, that, that gives you. I mean, that, but that's, uh, are, are you that version, that unedited, unscripted, just say what you think? Is that you? Is that almost, are you almost a, a channel for that humor? Is it built into you? I'm just wondering, you know, is that quick witted from you talk about your dad, you know, it's just, it's a form of communication or is it a form of people pleasing? What is it, do you think? I'm sure there is some people pleasing part of it. Um, I, I tell you what, I love making people laugh. Um, but even, even more of a high than that, I, I remember one of the first official speaking gigs I did, and it was at a officer's women's leadership symposium. And I was the, the closing keynote. And again, I went out there with my stories and I try to make people laugh because that that really fuels me to because I think laughter also helps me connect with people. So kind of find out you kind of get a temperature of the of the audience like, OK, that was too far. That's I can push it a little bit. You know, so you're kind of you're, you're just kind of playing with the audience. So the laughter is a good uh, uh, barometer for me. But I got done with my speech and, and I don't know if you're like this, too, but sometimes I get done talking and I'm just in this adrenaline rush. I have no idea if I even spoke English on stage. Like, I have no idea if if the words I said made sense. I don't have any idea if the points I used landed. I don't even know if there was a connection between the story and the point. Like, I get done and I'm just on this high because I've looked at eyes and stuff like that. And I remember being done. I got off the stage and I just had to go to the bathroom. But there was like this long line in the aisle and I'm just thinking, okay, I just got to get through this line and then I can go to the bathroom. 
And I had no idea what people were in line for. I didn't know if it was for the bathroom. And then I realized that people were in line to talk to me. And I'm like, this is weird. And the first lady in line was this really tall Coast Guard officer. And she had tears in her eyes. And she said, I just wanted to thank you for giving me permission to be who I truly am. And she started crying. And I'm thinking, uh, again, I'm not sure what I set up on stage, but something I said gave her permission to live, to, to close that gap between who she was portraying at work and who she really felt like she is. Um, now, I, I'm, I'm hopeful that that who she really is, is a still a good person and a good officer, but I don't think I gave her permission to go be a mass murderer or anything, but I, that really resonated with me. And, and that was actually more powerful than making someone laugh was, was making someone feel better about who they truly are and helping close that gap. That was a really big high. Um, and then in the person in line right after her, and I have got to track this girl down. She wanted a picture with me. And like that, if that doesn't make your head big, I mean, like, I, well, that's hard to be humble when somebody wants to take their picture with you. I'm like, holy cow, this is so awesome. And I'm like, because of something you said and how you made someone feel and not because you just made them laugh, right? People, you know, want to go see a comedian. That's great. But I want to be funny, but I also want to make people think. And, and so th those were two really big highs that I'm just like, this is cool. I like this. I like being able to connect with people. Is that your zone of genius? Is that your, is that your flow state? Cause I mean, I, I recognize that, right? There's times when you go and, you know, come and give a talk and it's like, I turn up and it's like, I have no idea what just said. I would have to look back yeah. at the recording because people say, you said yeah. this, this, and this like, Oh, did I? Okay. That's <laughs> great. That, that sounds, sounds quite good. I should have listened to it. Yeah. Someone write that down. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I, I think it is, you know, it's, um, yeah, you, when you talk about flow state, it's just, yeah, when you, it's almost like you black out, I guess, I, I don't know, how, how would you explain it? Like, you kind of black out, right? I mean, yeah, it's, it's I mean, I, I, you know, it's when people sort of talk about, you know, the, the, the duration of this podcast, you know, and some people said, listen, it's, it's too long for me. And then look, that's okay. But there is a madness in the in the process or a process in the madness. It's and it is typically there that the conscious mind sort of turns up for the first half hour. And that's the bit that says, you know, my name, what I do, and here's right. who I am and all that. That's pre-formulated, right? It just is. And then we go to mid-conscious, and that's where we're sort of going, well, this, this guy's all right. You know, there's nothing to here. We're having a nice conversation, it's all very warm and friendly, and that's cool. And then after that, we slip into sort of almost subconscious and that's when we think and speak at the same speed. Um, mm -hmm. So whatever we think comes straight out of your mind, as you say, it's slightly unfiltered. Well, that's a beautiful yeah. thing because that, at that point, people are saying, why, why am I telling you this? I've just told you everything that I've told nobody before. And, and it's, right, that, right. It's, it's that I would call flow state is when we just are. We The guards come down. It's you know, quite often when people have a glass of wine or a beer or whatever, quite often that it's the same, the inhibitions just drop and suddenly ah, we, okay. we just yeah. are. And that flow state, it's, it's, I think it's the most beautiful version of who we are. And it's, 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 yeah. it's that. Does that make sense? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Uh, yeah, it's a good, well, I hadn't, I hadn't made the correlation between, uh, you know, the alcohol lowering your inhibitions and just getting that whole no like, and trust factor, right? That's what we're after. And, um, and that's one of the things I love about podcasts too, is so that like, you've been in my ear for the past few weeks. Um, and 
it's like I like I watch your TED talk. I watched um, I've been to your website and just like I feel like I know you already. So hopefully we got to mid conscious and subconscious a little bit sooner. But but there's there's something about just feeling like you know somebody already and then you jump into that and then you you feel better and more confident about the safe space that you've created um, and that, that you can create together too. And so, yeah, I can see why I'm sure you have got more like therapeutic benefits for people because you are such a good listener and you have that contagious um, safe space creation. And I, and I think that's awesome. And like you said, not every podcast that you record makes it to the air. And I think there's a benefit for you, but a big benefit for your guests who who might say something that they've never heard themselves say. Maybe they've thought it, but they've never heard it come out of their mouth. And to hear yourself in your own words, um, it, that's a powerful thing. So thank you for what you do for everybody. You know, it's, yeah. it's really cool. Well, thank you. I mean, it, it's, but that's the thing, right? Cause we so, we so rarely get to listen to ourselves. And I know this, and this is the most bizarre thing is like, I listen to myself all the time. It's like, yeah. yeah, but you're not actually listening to the language. You're not listening to the way you refer to yourself, the words, the mm -hmm. different parts of you. I, me, myself, I, you know, um, we. So it's I mean, the seven different ways we, we in, in, in the main part that we refer to ourselves. Right. And it's so close to us, we don't actually spot it. And it's like, you do realize that you're using different language. You just described a different part of you. And they're like, I have never spotted that. Right? Huh. So it's, yeah. Just, and that's, that's the thing. It's right in front of us sometimes that we, we don't even yeah. spot our we're, own. We're too close. Yeah. We are too close, you know, not yeah. that's, that's the yeah. beauty of sharing. Right. You know, it's so, yeah. And that's, it's almost that for me is, you know, sharing your quirk gives other people the permission to share. And it's like going, you think that's weird. You should hear what I think, you know? Right? <laughs> yeah. I get, yeah, I get, it's neat too. And I get some, it, it's neat too. Cause there's like a little memory joggers. I think when I, because again, my stories aren't about climbing Mount Everest or anything like that. My stories are about, you know, seeing a mother and her daughter walking by. And it's neat when I, I'll get some emails or text messages and people will say, oh, I read this story and it's really cool and made me think of this. And then they kind of go into their own story, which is great because everybody's got their story. And it, and again, my whole thought process is, I hope you laughed. I hope you learned something. But now they're thinking about it and they're related to their own life. And that's, that's it right there. I'm, I'm, mega happy that people are doing that and having those experiences um and i'm super happy that people are sharing it with me because that's the thing is if you're having this experience that maybe i was a catalyst for and i don't know about it it's, you know share with me I, I think that's the coolest part is that when you get that feedback you know um that's it's powerful it, it is that ripple isn't it right you know that you don't yeah. sometimes you get to know and sometimes you don't it's like people go i remember what you said x time ago and you're like Okay, did I? I was like, right, sure. right. Was I there? Okay. Yeah. <laughs> yep. But it's just having that feeling, and it, is that the is that one of the main drivers for you? Just that sort of being, you know, is that your purpose? Do you, do you know what your life purpose is? Do you, do you believe you have a life purpose? I think I have a purpose. I'm still figuring out what it is. Um, it, you know, it's just trying to find that balance between being there for other people, but also being there for yourself. And I think I've spent a lot of time being there for other people. And so for me to spend time on myself, it feels a little selfish at times. Um, but 
whether it's a relationship with myself or other people, I'm still trying to figure out what my purpose is. Um, it, right now, I just I just want to make people laugh and I want to make people smile and I want to make people feel good. You know, it, in that sense, not, you know, <laughs> so <laughs> but I just I just want people to be able to to feel good, feel good about themselves and feel good about just that moment that they're in and, and, and appreciate it. And if that means stepping away from it for a second to realize it's not as bad as they think or to step away from it and realize this is a good moment and I need to appreciate it. Because that, that's, yeah, leaning into that. I mean, what is it yeah. that we're, we're sort of distracting them from or taking them out of? What's your intention there? Again, a lot of it is just not getting so in your head. I think we mm. we sometimes get so in our head and there's so much noise in there. And whether the noise is negative self-talk or, you know, to be the flip side of it, um, overinflated positive self-talk, you know, where we think we're be better than we are or we think we're worse than we are. But it's just it's kind of helping to to tamp down some of the noise that's in our head, whether it's other people in our ears saying things that aren't true, or if it's us talking to ourselves. And sometimes it's just giving people a moment to just stop and just stop it for a second. Have that little gap, that little bit of disruption that makes you just, just a little bit off course so you can kind of, you know, decide, do I need to go back on that course or do I need to change course? And a lot of it is just interrupting that noise for a second. And what does that do? Is, is, is it... Is it down to incongruity, who you think you are and who you're acting as, and it's just breaking the pattern to let people see that there is a difference? Or am I looking into it too much here? No, I don't think you're looking into it too much. I, I think it's, um, I think that's it on a more, uh, a, a grander scale. I mean, for me, sometimes it's just, just that moment to be able to to give someone a break. And it, it's just like, you know, a lot of times we were talking earlier about how when you're so close to something, you don't notice the words you're using, you don't notice the tone of voice you're using. And sometimes when you just get a break or you have someone reflect that back to you, then you notice the change. Or sometimes when everything else is the same, when there's something different, it stands out. Or when everything else is different and then you find that one pattern, it's, it's kind of finding those patterns that disrupt either your vision or your thought pattern. And again, it's just interrupting just long enough to get your attention and cause you to focus on that difference. So if the difference is an incongruent, in, see you're using big words. If, <laughs> if it is the, a difference of that gap between who you think you are or who you are or who you're presenting yourself to be or what you said versus what you meant, right? Big tone of voice is a really big deal. Um, uh, you know, it's just it's just enough to interrupt that pattern to make you recognize that there was a pattern and the message you're sending may not be the message that's being received. Are you nice to yourself generally? Are you good to yourself? Do you talk nicely to yourself? How are the voices? Let's let's start with that one. <laughs> um, the voices in my head have gotten better. Um, I, I won't say I've always liked myself. Uh, I... I have gotten better about it. I, I like the person that that I am now, but I've I've also made a lot of mistakes and I've had a lot of moments where I didn't like myself. So um, 
Yeah, I think sometimes it feels a, a little bit self-indulgent to say, oh, I like myself, I love myself. But um, I think it's easier to love yourself than it is to like yourself. But I'm getting there. I'm not I'm not infatuated with myself, but uh, I'm, I'm trying to, to like myself better. Break that down for me. That's, that's a really intriguing look at way of looking at it. So it's easier to love yourself than it is to like yourself. Yeah, I, I think... I think love tends to, well, first of all, I think we throw the word love around, right? I, I love your shirt. I love the thing. I love this. I love that. I love you. Um, and I use it. I use it a lot too. And I think it's easier to love something. But when you like something, I think you're being, and it seems counterintuitive, but I think when you like something, you are, there. there is a connection and it's it's like the double use of the word like. So if if I like you, it means like, I am like you. That's how it is in my head. There's something similar. There's something that connects us. There's something that resonates with me because I like you because I am like you in that one form or fashion. So I think that liking something about yourself means there's something you recognize and that you want to bring out and that's something that connects you and that it resonates with you versus I love it. It's just, and again, it may be just because we've uh, overused or misused the word, but love has this this warm, flowing, harmonious feeling. And I think like is a more specific, um, and again, it's not a homonym, but it's got the, the dual meaning of liking something and being like something. Does that make any sense? <laughs> yeah, it does. I mean, on, on several levels. And well, thank you for sharing there because... I mean, I always there's there's that sort of expression, and I don't know somebody smarter than me will tell me, but it's it's um, it's that aspect of saying it's not that I necessarily like you, it's I like how I am when I'm around you, hmm. right? So it's like it's like I like how I feel when you're in my presence, right? So it, it's <laughs> not that you know that as, as humans we are just sort of born to be sort of in our inner experience right because we can't experience outside of ourselves so we have to experience right. inside ourselves so your presence and somebody being near me or who they are makes me feel good which means then i like you because of what you've revealed in me right so that that does make sense to like i have this mad urge to ask i mean to, for you what's can you break down the difference between listening and hearing for me? I think hearing it's it, to me it's it's kind of like the difference between laughter and and humor, both of which are important to me, but laughter is more of the superficial the sound and the act of laughing versus humor is the sense that the 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 wit and the 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 wordplay underneath it so and i i don't know if listening here and i think listening is more like laughter it's the superficial yes i hear the words i i listen to the words that are coming in but hearing is the deeper part of hearing is paying attention not to the just the things that you are hearing through audible tones but hearing is also paying attention to the things that you are not saying. It's paying attention to the tone of voice. It's paying attention to your body posture. It's paying attention to anything else that you're doing. It's listening to me as the this, the actual act of sound frequencies coming in and registering as sound frequencies coming in versus hearing is paying attention to the message, the tone, the body posture, the nonverbals, all the things that are beyond just frequencies coming in. Is that... 
pictures. Yeah, no, I mean, I, I think it's a, it's a beautiful reflection in a way of looking at it. And it, it's just that, right? You know, and I'm just thinking almost there with your book as well, that <laughs> your book is a book, right? So it's, it's page, it's, it's ink on a, it's ink on a page. It's, it's mm-hmm. that on a physical dimension, but on a, a, an emotional dimension or a spiritual dimension, if you want, it has the potential of bringing in that laughter, that humor that actually it's a guilty pleasure, right? That you, from what you've compiled and this thing can either be life-changing par, or it can be a book stop, you know, or a doorstop, you know, right. So it, it, but it, it has both that potential within it. So it's the same with, for me, listening and hearing to me, it's like, I can listen to someone all day long. Are you actually hearing what they're saying? That's the difference right. for me, you know, and, and cause I don't know, a lot of people sort of say, Oh, I, I hear what you're saying, but then I'm really listening. And again, it's, it's the semantics and the imperfection of words. Right. right. But, but it's that hearing someone that's saying, I'm not, I'm actually not listening to what they're saying. I'm listening to the tone, the context, the, mm-hmm. you know, the text, the, the emotions, all that. Um, which is so, so different, right? You know, and that's, and that's why I'm sort of almost looking beyond the humor with yourself. It is the actual intention here is to think, because when we yeah. think that in itself is the trigger, because mm-hmm. if we go in with the intention of thinking, then there's a chance something may change because right. we think about it long enough and then you, you, you know, you throw it all up in the air and then you sort of get a chance to organize it back in, in the right way, potentially for you is, does that make sense? Am I rambling? I don't yeah. know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, yeah, absolutely. And that's the other thing too is it's, I think we're just inundated with data all the mm-hmm. time and what you do with that data turns it into information and turns it into tools. So yes, they can be words on a page and if you laugh, that's great. I'm happy. Um, if you get something out of it, that's even better. But, and then when you share it with me that you got something out of it and you laughed, that's awesome. I mean, cause that's, that, that is the difference between a, a tool and a doorstop, right? So that's the, um, that, that is that transition phase. That's the gap between it just being a, a comedy book and being, um, a, an actually thought provoking kind of get you to weigh, to reflect on your life and use it as a tool of information that's coming at you and not just words. Hmm. Yeah, makes a huge difference. Talk to us about the character on your book. So, I mean, for our, listen- <laughs> for our listeners, well, I mean, I don't know how you describe yeah. it. What's what's the best way uh, of describing the so, character? Her, yeah, so her name is uh, Mokolohe, and uh, Kolohe in Hawaiian means rascal. And uh, my mom always used to call me Kolohe. Like, like it just, it just means rascal and uh, up to no good. So Mo is for Mo Barrett and Mo is also for more. So more rascals, essentially what her name means. The, um, she is actually supposed to be a Menahuni, which is a, uh, it's basically a Hawaiian dwarf or elf. And so in, in Hawaiian folklore, the Menahuni were these, these artisans and these little craftsmen, they're little elves that only come out at night. It's, it's kind of like the, the cobbler's elves, right? So they just do all these little, and they're always playing pranks and things like this. But the, the Menahuni is what, what she is. And she's dressed in um, aviation garb. So the, the idea was for my mascot to be, I wanted it to be cartoony because again, I don't, I don't take myself too seriously. And I try not to take things too seriously. Um, But I wanted her to have a Hawaiian uh, Hawaiian lineage in there, so that's in, in uh, 
in honor of my mom. And then I wanted the uh, the aviation garb and kind of like the World War II era because my dad was in World War II, not as a pilot, but he was in the World War II in the Army Air Corps for the U.S. And so I kind of wanted those two things and went to 99 Designs. And I this guy uh, in Indonesia actually designed her. And uh, I, I've just, I, I, I'm really, really happy the way she came out. And it's just one of these things where uh, it's my little Hawaiian menuhuni. <laughs> I love that. I mean, it's, yeah. it's it's disarming in itself, but that that's the beautiful thing about the sort of the method of teaching, right? Sort of the laughter disarms. And as mm-hmm. you say, then it, it's that ability to, to pull it apart, you know, whether it's a character, you know, and, and unintentionally people then learn because they're laughing they're, they're open. They've, they've, we've broken state. They're then open to learn and then thinking as a result of it. Right. So I, yep. I think it's great. Uh, you know, yeah, I love the characters. You. Great, great sport. Yeah. Great attitude to the character. Yeah. No, I'm happy with her. Is it a representative representation of you, or do you think it's it? It. So Mokalohe is all the things. She is my quirk. She is all the things that make me unique. And I think that because we all have the things that make us unique. And I, I always tell people, I said figure out what your quirk is and it's not just one thing it's like that your whole quirk is just all the attributes that make you you um but i'm always like just name your quirk i mean this is my quirk personified so mokalohi is all the wackadoodle things that make me me and so uh, i tell people i said find those things embrace them leverage them and then name them like give your quirk a name and 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 go with it it's like your alter ego right your superpower (laughs) your super person yeah, totally. Well, how, how would you go about finding your quirk then? Give us an example if you can. That's a tougher thing because I think it's a it's a very personal thing because first of all, I think a lot of people don't want to recognize that they're weird, but everybody's weird in some form or fashion. And uh, it, it's it's recognizing the the balance of all the different things. And a lot of times it may be asking, again, we keep talking about separating from yourself and maybe getting outside of yourself. And it's maybe asking the five closest, the five people who are closest to you, not geographically, but closest to know you well, like, what is it about me that makes me different in your perspective? And it's, and it's kind of seeing those things that resonate across different people and different circles in your life, but ask the people who know you the best and then ask the people who don't know you as well. And I think you'll start finding the things that you're missing because you are it all the time. But asking the people who know you well, and then asking the people who don't know you as well, and finding those common things that you may not even have recognized as a quirk because that's just how you naturally operate. That's, I think that's a, that's a beautiful way of looking at it. As you say, asking those around you you know, what way others perceive you as. Because again, we, we get that, we have that issue, right? Because we're so close yep. to ourselves, we can't see ourselves. So we need to reflect at a greater distance to be able to actually see ourselves, ironically, to get focus. Yeah. I'm really into team sports. I just, it's, to me, life is a team sport. And so for me to go to a silent retreat and try to find the answers within myself, like if I can't find them here or there, I, I'm just... I would rather have somebody else's help. So to me, it always helps. It's not just a matter of reflecting and getting your own mirror, but it's finding somebody else to serve as that mirror and, and help 
you see the reflection because again you keep seeing the same things over and over again and you overlook them because they're just the part of the natural landscape of your personality so i think um Maybe that's why I'm into team sports or maybe it's because team sports and that's why I'm into um, helping others kind of figure yourself out. But I think I think you can't do it without other people because you are always overlooking it. Is this something for you that you need as much as others, if that makes sense, or this is part of your journey to discover and unravel yourself, the, the, the greater part of you? Because that's what we tend to do, right? We We sort of help those that have maybe just aren't as far along in the journey that we've just come along. Right. So we, we help give based on the lessons we've learned. Right. I wish I had a more noble <laughs> cause like to, to want to help people, but, um, I, yeah, I'll just leave it at that. I wish I had a more noble cause to me. It's just about, um, I, I don't think my stories are extraordinary. I don't think my stories are, again, they're not about climbing Mount Everest. They're not about surviving domestic violence. They're not about surviving any of those things. They're about, it's kind of the flip of that. And it's finding, and I always say that the magic in the mundane. Um, so I'll use an example. I, I remember walking to a, a post office one time and I just was taking my time and walking toward me was a, a mom and then about i don't know 10 paces behind her was this little girl trying to catch up she's like mom mom wait for me i want to hold your hand and the mom was just so busy and she's just like not now we gotta go we gotta go she was just on a mission and i don't know what again i don't have any uh i have all four-legged dogs you know four-legged fur babies but i don't have any kids and so i don't know what it's like to be a busy mom but i remember just kind of feeling for that little girl because she wanted that connection with her mom so I turned around, I grabbed the little girl's hand and I said, I'll hold your hand because someday your mom is going to be begging you to hold her hand. And by the time I said this, we had caught up, the little girl and I had caught up to her mom and her mom's body just went, this whole, just, you could see her whole body just kind of go, oh man, you know, she juggles all her mail and her keys and she grabs her daughter's hand. She looks at me, I let go and the two of them walk off and I thought, that wasn't any drastic life-changing, you know, CPR or Heimlich maneuver. It was just a moment for me to kind of point out in a kind of a obnoxious invasion of uh, mother-daughter privilege, you know, but it was just a way for me to show that there was a time. It didn't cost her anything. It didn't slow her down. She didn't miss any appointments just to slow down a half a tick and hold her daughter's hand because all her daughter wanted. And and I, I think it's one of those things where that was the moment I realized that I don't have to have had to survive some massive tragedy or been through some just deep depressive thing that I struggled and clawed my way out of. There was just a time when I was able to show a mom how to be a better mom in that moment. Now, I have nothing to do with homeschooling or cooking or dressing a kid, but in that moment, there was an opportunity for her to be a better mom to her daughter. And, and it was, it's basically that, that's about as noble as I get. That's all these stories are, is things that I've done, decisions I've made, faux pas that I've made, or ways I've handled a situation and if somebody wants to take away something from that beyond just laughing at me, that's what it's about. 
It's back to breaking state again, right? Sure. Yeah. You know, it's that it's that sort of uh, shocks may be a strong word, but it's that you know, break the state of, you know, yeah, I'm busy, busy, busy. I haven't time for this. And it's like, whoa, what's going on? You know, yeah. and just that sort of change in, in reflection. I don't yeah. know. Cause I just, I don't know that it's for some reason that, that poem, you know, taking, you know, taking time to stop and stand and stare, you know, it's just that, you know, we're so busy being busy that actually you miss the whole point of it. Yep. Yep. You know, yeah, you get some people that work, whatever, 60, 80 hours a week and they're busting their butt. And then you're like, why, why do you work so many hours? I'm like, well, because I want to I want to get all the money that I'm earning. I'm like, OK, and then what are you going to do with that money? Well, then I can take a vacation. OK, when are you going to take a vacation when I'm done working? OK, but you're working to take a vacation that you're working and can't take. You know, it's like this. And again, to, to be able to break that state, I like that that turn of phrase, too. It's just like. Okay, well, you're busting your butt working all these hours away from your family to get money for a vacation that you don't have time to take because you're busting your butt working all these hours. To, you know, <laughs> so it's this that. Um, the other thing I always tell people to do is ask yourself why three to five times. So, you know, I, I have to turn this report in. Why? Well, it's due for the staff meeting. Why? Because my boss needs it. Why? because his boss needs it. Why? Because it goes into the annual report and it has to be this pretty graphic. Well, that's, you know, it's different than just providing so many data. So it's, it's, it's asking yourself why, 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 just three to five times and mm. figure out, okay, what, what, what is really the purpose of what I'm doing? And then, you know, what you do, again, it's, it's data versus information. What you do with that data then can inform your next decision. And maybe that changes how much effort you put into something how much priority, how much weight, um, you know, how much effort you put behind something. Um, and maybe if it's something you should be doing at all. So I always just help you three to five whys. <laughs> I, uh, totally unscientific, but I mean, how conscious do you think people are? I mean, how close to their whys are they? Or is it just a case of, well, this is just what I do. This is what our generations have done. This is what I've done my entire life. So what are you talking about? You <laughs> know? Yeah. How close do you think people are to 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 knowing their quirk or knowing their why or knowing their their actual the core reason for what they do? Not. I mean, I haven't done a statistical study, but I would say more, a majority of people don't know the real specific why of what they're doing. It, it it that was one thing that would drive me nuts, and it drives me nuts even outside of the military. But a lot of times the answers was that's the way we've always done it. And I'm thinking that is the dumbest answer. I mean, that, you know, and I, that was part of the reason I was actually surprised I made it for a whole career because I was always challenging the, the, the status quo when I could, because I didn't accept that's the way we've always done it. Cause I don't think that's necessarily a good answer. Now there's times when it might be, but again, by asking why three to five times, we may find at some point during that, that questioning that, it isn't the best way to do things. It may have been way back when, but that doesn't mean it's still the the right solution, um, especially when you've been doing it for decades. And it's just like, you know, times have changed. So that almost makes it worse, doesn't it? You know, we've done yeah. it for decades this way. 
Okay, that's a, that's exactly why you might want. Yeah, like to... <laughs> yeah, like do you hear what you're saying? <laughs> if it doing it this way, you know, a lot, you know, like we have planes that fly in the air now. People can go to space now. That we're still going to do it that way because that's the way we've always done it. <laughs> yeah, otherwise people go exactly that. It, it, uh, I don't know. I don't want to sort of get into you know the, the. Well, I don't know. I mean, it's it's the control mechanism, I suppose, in the military. I understand it's a humongous organization so there needs to yeah. be a structure but then how do you maintain a heartbeat and you know can you maintain a heartbeat on a structure so that actually everyone's working to common goals common wise as opposed to you know you're a number you have this you get a check you know at the end of the month yeah so just do what you're told and that's it well i think a lot of it is this comes down to leadership and i think it's leadership at every level so the big boss, you know, we always have the mission and vision, but when you get down, you know, 17,000 layers down to where I'm in my cubicle, it's finding out how you align with that greater mission. And ideally you're looking for a leader that is, is constantly working to get in alignment with that so that all the leaders are doing that. But, uh, you know, as with any organization, you get some people that are there for the 20 years, get the watch and, and collect a pension. And then you've got other people that are in there honestly trying to, to give their best and to make a difference. So it's just, you know, and again, like you were saying before, is I can only control myself. I may be able to bark out orders and things like that, but everybody else is an independent thinker and they all have their agendas and they all have their, their perspectives and their best way to do things. Um, but if, if I can at least control my own self and see how my piece fits into the greater piece, whether it's within an organization, whether it's in my family, whether it's in the church or the community or whatever, um, that's all I can control. And so it's just about being intellectually curious about my particular role in the big thing and how my widget making team fits into the big, the bigger picture. Do you look back at your career almost, almost like it's a sort of a, a whole separate entity, a whole separate life that didn't exist? I do now. Um, being in the Air Force was all I ever wanted to do. I mean, I have a picture walking alongside my brother when he was in a reserve officer training course. So it was it, at the college level. It's kind of the, the ramp to um, commission service. And it's a picture taken from behind us, but I'm holding my brother's hand and he's 10 years older than me. And you can tell from the picture that I'm trying to get in step with him. Like I wanted to walk in step with my brother. And I knew back then, I think I was six in that picture, uh, six or seven. I knew in that picture, um, I remember wanting to be like my brother and my dad in military service. And so that was all I ever wanted to do. So when I was in the military and I was getting closer, you know, you, you're trying to get all promoted up to all the ranks and things like that. And the writing was on the wall that I probably wasn't going to make general. And I was thinking... I don't want to retire because this is all I've ever wanted to do. I had no idea what I wanted to do on the outside because I had let myself be defined as an Air Force officer. And so I couldn't see anything else. And I I had forgotten and buried and suppressed the fact that I I can make people laugh, that I can write, that I could speak, all, all these things. Because all I had ever done is use the label Air Force officer. And because I had defined myself as that for so long, it was like I, I didn't want to retire because I didn't know 
I didn't know who I was. So when I, when I retired, I retired in 2018. And when I retired, I was, I was anxious, but that anxiety lasted about three days. And then I was like, holy cow, I don't have to have a filter. I don't have to, you know, I can be inappropriate if that's how I choose to represent myself. Um, so now the thing, now being on the other side of it, you know, six years ago, I was just terrified of retirement or not having the identity as Air Force officer. Now, yeah, it feels like a whole nother life and I'm grateful for it. But now I'm, I'm on this, I guess they call it a second act and I love it. I absolutely, I kind of wish I retired sooner because like I could have been doing this sooner, but, um, but I love it. And yeah, that just, it seems so long ago and I'm still in touch with all my friends, but I don't miss the military. I miss all my friends and the camaraderie we had, but we stay in touch. So I, I've got the best of both worlds. Did that have to happen for you to be where you are today? Do you think? I'm sure it did. Uh, you know, I, I, I think that everything, not necessarily that everything happens for a reason, but what you do with the things that happen can become your reason for the next thing that happens. So, um, I certainly didn't have to work. And I always joke now, in fact, my, my partner always tells me, she goes, you work seven days a week and she has to pull me away from the computer. She has to be pulling me away from books. Um, and she has to throttle me back. Um, I work harder now that I'm retired. And I always joke that I need to go back to work so I can relax. Or maybe I just wasn't that, uh, that much of a value for the taxpayer in America. I don't know, but I, I, am working harder now charting my own path than I, than I ever did when I was in the military. Maybe it's just a different kind of work, but, um, yeah, it's, I, I think that everything happens the way it's supposed to, and it's what you do with that that informs your next step. What's, what's your ethos then when you turn up? I mean, do you, do you feel like you have, you have ground to gain or you need to catch up? I mean, do you, what's your underlying feeling or is it just a case of this is a life's a wonderful sort of sweet shop and it's there for the taking. I mean, why do you work? Why do you sort of work harder than ever? I don't know. I think it goes back to the fire in the belly thing. And I can't explain why this gives me fire in the belly, but I love to create. Like I love to get, I'm an idea fairy, not a good idea fairy, but I'm an idea fairy. I have all these, these ideas and this creative things. And, you know, I start all these projects and I, I, you know, I get this, whatever, I, I make fire starters out of coffee grounds and, and uh, candle wax, you know, like, but I love that process, you know? Um, and so it's, it's just that I, I don't, I don't know why. And I don't know. Um, it, it's just being present in the moment and recognizing each moment for what it is, um, not getting too deep with it and not taking it too lightly. But again, it's just um, being grateful for what I have and being grateful for the things I get to do. I, I think that's, to me, life is just a series of moments and they're not all perfect and they're not all um butterflies and unicorns or or whatever but um it's it's what you do in those moments and how you live those moments so i'm enjoying the ride i mean it's not they're not always easy i mean there's days when i'm about ready to throw my computer against the wall but i kind of like those struggles too it was like prepping for the tedx talk there were times i, I probably had 37 versions of my speech that i ended up giving um there were, my coach was making edits the 
night prior, maybe the day of, we added a joke or took out a joke or added a joke we had taken out or something. And as frustrating as that whole process was to to go through the self-doubt of thinking, I'm never going to have this memorized or whatever, um, to finally having done it, 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 in its entirety, all the lows, all the highs, all the just the boring parts, um, it, it, it was to be present in that moment. I didn't enjoy the challenges. I didn't enjoy the negative parts, the the self-doubt parts, but I enjoyed being in it and recognizing it, if that makes any sense. <laughs> it does. I mean, are you are you typically then pain-driven or pleasure-driven? Where do you normally sit? I think I am pleasure-driven, which probably causes other people pain. So, <laughs> but I, I am I am definitely pleasure-driven. Um, I'm very not impulsive, but um, but yeah, I, I and it's a lot of it is pleasure, not my own. It, it's it's kind of a I, I always say I'm a giver. Like I think my pleasure comes from making somebody else laugh. My pleasure comes from lighting somebody else up. So it's my pleasure comes from giving somebody else pleasure. I, I don't. That's mm. sounds weird, but. No, I mean, that's, and do you, do you prefer, which would be more appealing to you to, to try and solve a problem or to start with a blank sheet of paper and, and, and invent something new? Blank sheet. Okay. See There's something possible. so intimidating. You had your, you had your white notebook, right? There's something so intimidating and empowering about a blank piece of paper. Like I, I, I've just gotten into these erasable pens, which I love, um, and sometimes I have to use the erasable pen because it's a nice transition between a pencil and a Sharpie. I'm like, I'm not ready for a Sharpie for this blank piece of paper. Even though I've got a whole ream of blank paper, there's something so intoxicating about a blank piece of paper. But it's as intoxicating as it is, it's also frightening because it's like, I'm going to make a mark. And it's, I don't know why I let it kind of get in my head so much, but there's something, man, there's something cool about a blank piece of paper because it yeah. could be anything. Yeah. Well, that's, I mean, it's sort of reverse or looping back on what you were saying. I mean, what, what, are, what would you say, what are you really great at and what are you really terrible at? What am I great at? I think I'm, I think I'm great at connecting with people um, to find, this is something I do in my head. Um, whenever I'm walking usually when I'm just walking by myself, whenever I walk and I encounter, like I'm watching somebody, I don't always say something to them, but I always quiz myself. If I had to stop right now and talk to that person, what would I say? So I'm always trying to pay attention. So I think I'm, I'm good at observing, um, but I think I'm great at connecting with people. And so I'll always look and um, like, I live near Annapolis, which is where the, the US Naval Academy is, which is a big rivalry for my Air Force Academy. So a lot of times I'll be walking and if I see somebody's hat and if I do choose to stop and interact, I'll say something like, oh, I, I'm so sorry um, about your hat. And they don't even know, A, that they have a hat on, B, much less what's on it, but it makes them stop and look and they see their Naval Academy hat or something. Or I'll say, hey, you've got some smudge on your shirt or your hat, you know, and I'll try to wipe the, the logo off or something. Um, and, and instantly you have a connection. Um, and even, even though it's based on a rivalry, again, it's breaking that gap of them just walking along wearing a hat. So I think I'm great at connecting with people and finding 
some strand of something, um, whatever it is. And I always quiz myself and I'm walking. I'm like, what would be the one thing that I notice about maybe they have a limp, maybe they have their watch on the right hand. So maybe they're left-handed. So, I mean, all these little things, I just pay attention. And I'm like, if I had to stop and make a conversation, what would I, what would I say to that person to, to catalyze that conversation? So I think I'm really great at connecting with people. What am I bad at? Um, taking on too many projects, probably saying no, is probably I'm something bad at. Yeah. It's good to know that too, right? Yeah, I guess. <laughs> I'm, I'm it's that it's, it's, it's one thing to know, it's one thing to do something about it, but I'm sorry, what now? No, I'm just saying it's just that, right? It's sort of, yeah, it's like you actually want me to admit that. It's like, mm. Yeah. Yeah, my wife, my <laughs> wife says that to me. It's like, how, how many things are you trying to do? It's like, I'm doing them all perfectly. Don't, don't, don't yeah. question me for God's sake, you know? Don't, don't mess up my system. <laughs> like, anyone else is like a bombs at the place. It's like, no, no, this, this is a system. Don't move anything. So, okay. Yeah. So here's a question for you then, Pete. Do you have a name for those bombs? Little pockets of potential. Ooh, nice. Yeah. See, so my partner calls them monados. So... <laughs> I go and I just have just stuff is everywhere. And I'm like, it, it makes complete. I, it looks like I'll, you know, spread out and stuff. It, there is a system. Don't touch anything. Don't let any wind blow my notes over. She's like, okay, well, how long is this monado going to be here on our dining room table? I'm like, I don't know, probably right until before dinner. <laughs> so, but pockets of potential. I like that. Pete's pockets of potential. There you go. That's what's so funny, right? <laughs> and you see, that's it's interesting you're talking about the pen. You see, that's exactly why I use Sharpie because it's kind mm -hmm. of gone. If I do nothing more than just acknowledge and turn up the way I'm supposed to turn up, that knowing the mark that's been made is exactly the mark that's supposed to be made, even if it feels like a mistake. That yeah. that, that was the lesson. That was the, the rather than because we do that so much, you know, so much of our life is on, you know. It is. That, it's that quirk and just go on, you know, don't mind me while I just mutter away to myself here. It's like, you know, but but that's who you are. Let's not try and sort of hide your light under a bushel here. It's let's just say, right. well, that's who I am. You know, don't mind me. I'm having fun talking to myself. I'll be with you in a second. Well, me, myself, yeah. I, me, myself. And <laughs> let's I have this meeting first. We'll get the minutes to you. Yeah. You know, do you that's... ever? Yeah. Do you, when you're on a blank piece of paper and you have the Sharpie, do you ever intentionally make a mistake so you get it over with? <laughs> um, generally not. I like, to, I like to try and freeform in mm -hmm. a diagram because I like to, I like to make sure that it's never going to be a structured lined piece of paper. So I'm quite happy to make a mark or I'll divide it into sections or I'll, I'll, I'll put a little motif. And I, yeah. I, I do try and make a symbol of what I'm feeling. And that will quite often be a star or a little motif or something which actually sets the precedent for the page in that huh. this will not be a structured page. This will not yep. be lined. This will not be whatever, as you say. But by doing that and just breaking the the, the, the blankness of it, um, yeah. And that's do you, okay. what, do you Do you ever go back and look at your notes and do like each page have a – a kind of like a almost like an energy a different energy on page to page oh totally totally i mean i can that's cool uh, it's it's one of those i can list so every you know every person i speak to every mentee so mentees have their own books 
Um, so I literally can, like I say, all I don't even need to read the page. I can just see the energy, the way the page was and instantly it just brings it all back. Same cool. with, um, you know, interviewing someone. It's like going, if I find the page and the person's in front of me, I can recall that whole conversation just based on the symbols and the layout of the page. Isn't that know. cool? That's awesome. Yeah. yeah it's, I mean, it's, I, mean, I think we all do it. Do we not? Yeah. But you, so you're a visual learner. Are you a yeah. visual learner? Yeah. yeah. You, you got to show me. You got to, you know, it's yep. a, a, once you show me, then I'm, I'm all there. Um, mm-hmm. And I think that's why, because I mean, I, you know, I'm dyslexic and have ADHD, you know, so it's that, um, you know, giving me a book. I mean, we sort of joke in our house that my wife is a is a barrister or a lawyer, as you would call it. Um, she'll read the book from start to finish. If you give me the same book, I'll cut the grass, walk the dog, and uh, yep. go to the shit <laughs> <laughs> Anything but read the book. Anything but read the book, you know. Right, 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 right. You know, she can go front to back, right? But that's that's the beauty, right, is learn how we yep. learn. Learn your thing, you know, because yeah. I, I think people don't do that. People don't. You know, people don't, you know, embrace their quirk. They don't sort of say, well, this is my thing. This is not my thing. This is how yeah. I learn. This is not how I learn. This is who I am, right? We, we're, yeah. we're so busy trying to be something else that we forget to be who we are. Yeah. Well, I think a lot of times, too, we're also trying to be who we think other people think we should be. And I'm like, I don't think people are thinking about us as much as we think they are, you know, and it's just... Uh, it's just the whole permission thing. Um, I, I did this. Um, I don't know if you've heard of Lego. I mean, you know what Lego bricks are, right? Yeah. yeah. They hurt you, when you've you got three daughters that are probably all over the house, right? Exactly. <laughs> What'd you say? Yeah. They, they hurt when you stand on them. I know that much. Yeah. <laughs> so Lego has, um, uh, it's called Lego serious play. And it's, a uh, it's basically a, like a corporate, um, almost like a team building kind of thing. But so I have bags of identical pieces. So I went and spoke um, at a, a military officer's uh, workshop. It was like a professional development class. And while everybody's at lunch, I was a speaker right after lunch, which that's always a great thing. Um, but I was the speaker after lunch. So while everybody was gone, I put a bag, everybody had a bag of identical pieces and it was in a sealed bag and I put it at everybody's desk. And I put one at the, the, the mentor. He was like, he outranked everybody else and he was like the class mentor. And my, my thought was, you know, like the way I rehearsed it and the way it was working beautifully in my mind was everybody would kind of tinker it while I was talking and build something, or maybe people would barter pieces or whatever. And I forgot that I was at a military officer's class. So these are mid-level, you know, thirties and 40 year olds. And, uh, no one, t- I mean, they, I know that they saw them because they were touching the bag. They saw them. They kind of set them aside. Not a single person opened their bag. So my whole teaching points and the whole time I'm now I'm distracted because I'm, I'm talking. I'm like, nobody is playing with the Lego. So I went over to the class mentor. I'm like, Hey, um, can you very, very obviously open up your bag and just play with the pieces, you know, and build something. So he started and everybody kind of looked over at him and they kind of touched it, but nobody opened it. We got done and I was my, my, all my teaching points that went beautifully in my head were going to be, you know, what did you do with those individual pieces? Cause you all had the exact same pieces, but what did you do with them? Cause nobody was going to build the same thing. It was beautiful. Mm-hmm. It was a great analogy. And I said, how many of you opened up your bag? Not a single one. I said, why? Because we were waiting for permission. 
And I thought, man, if I had second graders in here, they would have ripped those things open. They would have, and, and I would have loved it, but we're all waiting for permission. And I'm just like, dude, open your bag and, and create something with all the things that make you, you. That's what we're supposed to do. So all the people who have their bag of Lego, you know, sealed up already, just rip it open and start building, start bartering pieces, start building something with all the pieces that make you, you. I just, yeah, like next time I'm going to have to attack that differently, but it just, it was, it was still a powerful lesson of, you know, something went wrong, but it was still a powerful lesson in, okay, you are waiting for permission to bring your pieces of you to the world. That, that's not right. <laughs> like, get, you know, give yourself permission, open the bag, start building. So mm. that, that was a, that was a lesson I learned with, I thought it was going to be this really creative, you know, workshop thing, but. <laughs> Usually with kids, it's the other way around. It's like, stop touching it. Right. <laughs> right. 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 You know, but again, like we were saying earlier is at what point do we lose that you know, obviously it was at your station. They belong to you. you someone could have asked. Nobody even asked, you know, uh, but yeah, a kid would have torn into that. And so I just, you know, sometimes we need to be more childlike. And I think there's, it depends. I'm not saying throw food on the floor and whatnot, but, um, you know, sometimes we just need to be a little bit more childlike and approach things with the creativity and open-mindedness that, that the kids have, because they say some cool stuff. Yeah. Yeah, it's, and that's it. It's just, I mean, I know with our kids, they call it like messy play, you know, right? It's just, yep. just be. And, and it's like, I mean, believe me, I'm I'm sort of, I know with our kids, we chose to let them do that, let them feed themselves. And I'm in the corner sort of biting my knuckles, just going, just, just look the other way while they're doing it because <laughs> my sort of minor, minor OCD is just going through yeah. the roof as stuff's getting launched. And it's just like, they're learning, they're playing. And it's like, really? <laughs> The dog's loving it. It's like, yeah, this is all oh, right. Yeah, this is all mine. It's like, oh god, you know. <laughs> Let me just walk out of the room while they learn these amazing lessons. You know, I'm like, yeah, yeah, I can't cope right now. So, yeah, that's gotta be tough. How old are your girls? Uh, so five and twin twin girls at three. So yeah, five, three, oh, and three. Wow. So yeah, it's um. Yeah, so your dog is making out like a bandit. I see. <laughs> It's all over it. It's like, yeah, no, that's, that's cool, you know. So it's, um, you know, making the most of it. Why not, you know? So, what kind of dog? I'm sorry. Well, it's just a collie dog. Collie dog. Oh. You know? So it's nice. It's always nice to have it there, you know. So, yeah. Tell me this. Who do you, who's been a real mentor for you, either locally or, or, or famously or whatever who's someone that you you know really represents a, a great way of showing up in life for you this sounds cliche but my mom i remember um we were at a high school football game and i was sitting in the stands with my mom and dad and there was a big commotion behind us and I turn around and there was these two huge guys on either side of a, a porta potty, you know, like a portable toilet. Mm. And there was one guy on either side and they were pushing it and rocking it back and forth. And there was somebody locked inside the toilet. And my mom is looking, I'm looking and she's like, that is terrible. And I'm like, yeah, that sucks. So I turn back to the game, big play on the field. I turn to say something to my mom and she's gone. 
My mom is about five foot four, tiny little Asian lady, very small frame. And I see this small frame in a wool coat walking up to that porta potty. And there's a big crowd watching these two huge bullies and this guy's locked inside and this thing is getting tipped back and forth. And I'm like, oh my God, my mom is going to embarrass me. And I watch her. I couldn't hear what was being said. And I don't think anybody heard anything because it was just, everybody was just in awe. But I saw my mom and she's shaking her finger at the two guys and they are looking down because they're huge. And she is backing them up just by shaking her finger and scolding them. So she backs up and the the guys are like back against the fence. They, they, they have no idea what's happening. And I'm just like, uh, I don't know what's happening either. My mom goes to the toilet and unlocks the door and the door comes flying open and the guy he's expecting somebody at eye level and he looks down and he's kind of taken aback and he says thank you and he goes back and he starts pounding on the other two guys and my mom just starts walking back and she sits down and uh just wants to get caught up on the game and i'm like what did you just do she goes i think that's a terrible way to die to be to be in a porta potty with all this stuff in there and and i i think about that and i think how brave she was how stupid she was but how it was just it was the right thing to do nobody else and all that whole crowd of people and all the people that saw that going on nobody else intervened and of all people my mom the tiniest person in the stands goes up there and with the power of her finger because the guys knew they were doing something wrong but i thought how brave how stupid how bold and how just how righteous to be able to go that is an is an injustice and I'm going to do something about it. And I always think about, I always think about that. I, I don't know that I ever exhibit that kind of bravery all the time. I mean, the maximum of my bravery is turning around and holding a little girl's hand. Um, but for, I always think about that and I can still picture my mom walking to the back. I mean, just walking to that porta potty thinking, oh my God, she's going to get pummeled. She's going to get the crap beaten out of her. And she didn't, she got the guy out of the toilet, got the two guys to stop rocking the toilet and let that boy take care of the other two guys. But I always think about that of when we see an injustice, it's it's how we react in that as opposed to just recognizing it as an injustice. Now there's, there's different tools in our arsenal of what we can do. Um, and there's times maybe it's probably not the safest choice to intervene like that, but how brave she must've been because my heart was pounding watching her do that. I can't even imagine what was going through my, but to her, it was, it was the right thing to do. And there was no other option. And I thought that's, that's the kind of, the kind of way I want to react to standing up for the, what wasn't necessarily stand up for the little guy. Cause she was the little guy, but standing up to the big guys, I don't know, but, um, just to be that brave, um, to do the right thing when everybody else around could be doing it and nobody else is. I mean, I know it's cliche to say my mom is my hero, but I, I think about those kind of things. And there's tons of examples like that um, where she walks the walk, she talks the talk, she walks the talk. Is, is that the difference that everyone, she just does what she feels is right where yep. everyone else thinks about it, you know, and, and there's a theory I'm, I'm sort of running with at the moment, and it is, you know, more or less that the knowing is the is the voice of the ego, thinking is the voice of the conscious mind, when feeling mm. is really the the voice of the subconscious, and sensing is the voice of the soul. So when we choose just to feel and sense that you feel that is the wrong thing to do, 
but if you leave it then long enough, then the the, the ego or the, the the conscious mind thinks about it and says, "Oh, that's quite a big guy, right?" You then yeah. it's too late, you know, because you, you brought the conscious thinking into it as opposed to going, "I feel this is wrong, and therefore I, I'm present enough to do to act," as opposed to, I don't know, maybe I've taken it too far, but it, it's yeah, no, that's that, doesn't it? Yeah, I mean, it's but kind of kind of in that same to your point i think a lot of times we overthink things and as we overthink things we miss the opportunities to act um and i think there's a balance i always say if somebody asked me what the secret to life is i would say it's balance because if you don't think enough then you're just going to go all thrust no vector um but if you overthink things then you're you kind of get you tend towards inaction mm. and I, I think a lot of times we we are so busy overthinking things. What's everybody going to think of me? What's what? What could happen? And all the what ifs of, of of what could happen if I do this thing. And we carry them out to these sometimes absurd uh, conclusions. But I, I just think there's there's a healthy balance of what can you do when there's something. There, there obviously needed to be an intervention. You know, there was another, you know, another course of action could have been try to find the security guy, have them, you know, who are properly armed to handle those kind of situations. Um, and, and I'm sure I, I'd like to think that my mom kind of ran through some kind of thought process of what can I do? How can I fix the situation? Um, because everybody else was just watching without acting or just kind of noticing and turning their back on it. So I, I think it's it's that balance between being so in your head that you don't do anything and being so out of your head that you do something reckless. So I, I just, I, I, yeah, I, I've never asked her, I, I should have, I never asked her what was going through her mind. It just, for her, that was, you know, guy locked in there. She just thought that would be disgusting to be in there and have that stuff all over you. And she went up and scolded the boys. <laughs> so I, I don't know. Yeah. braver than i am well that's i mean i i i doesn't i think we're all brave it just sometimes it's the circumstance where your values are broken enough that you say that that's unacceptable yeah you know yeah I, I, and i don't know whether that's an age thing where you just get to the point of going no nah, i don't need to tell the party line i don't need to you know just be another bystander that's unacceptable. It's crossed my, it's, you know, it, it's crossed my value set and therefore, right. you know, it, it's bigger than me. You know, it's bigger than like, I, I see it with other people's passions, their purpose, their books, whatever. And it's going this, I am, you know, yes, I might be at the helm, but believe me, this is, you know, this thing is bigger than me and bigger than, than everything else. I'm trying to steer it as best I can for as long as I can. But, mm -hmm. um, yeah, the right thing to do is just that, you know. So. Yeah. Bit of a random question. Who's your favorite comedian? Uh, Ellen DeGeneres. I wish I could meet her, but um, yeah, she's, I, I think, I again, a nice balance of making people laugh, using just ordinary events, um, but with a kindness. She doesn't, you know, tear people down. Um, I just think she's got a, a nice balance of comedy observational comedy without being um without tearing people down hmm nice that's nice right that that's genuine that is genuine comedy that we don't need to pick on a weakness or a flaw or something else we can just laugh at the 
craziness of what we do or whatever, right? right. You can you can just yep. be. What's what's a guilty pleasure for you then? A guilty. <laughs> this is going to sound so ridiculous. Um, catalogs. <laughs> so. Uh, that's so like, you know, that, yeah, go for it. Well, thank you. Awesome. Uh, yeah, like uh, Levenger, um, L.L. Bean. And uh, so when the catalogs come in the mail, I stack them up and I leave them in a, one of my Monados. I leave them stacked up until I've earned the privilege of going through them. Um, and so Jen, Jen knows not to, you know, she's like, do you want to keep this? I'm like, I haven't gone through it yet, but so keep it, you know. Uh, but yeah, catalogs I are my guilty I don't know pleasure. the brand. Is this is this fashion? Is this what is what's in so L yeah? So LL Bean is like I'm trying to think of a uh, Jack Wolf, like you know the Jack like outdoor clothes, outdoorsy okay. clothes, okay. and and hiking boots and backpacks and all this stuff. Levenger is a um, a book reader's store, so they've got a lot of um, office. I love office supplies. So um, <laughs> like even like the the for imprint like you can get your logos typed on a pen or something like that and like cups and and all these different ways that you can be branded like it's the it's their catalog of you can have a shirt and a hat and a frisbee and masks and all that stuff uh but catalogs i i love it and and then i have to once i get the stack and i don't let the stack get too high i i give myself a goal like if i do this this and this that that's how I've earned the privilege to get, look at my catalogs. It's so silly. I, I remember as a kid, the Sears catalog was a home store. They used to sell houses in this catalog, but it was super thick. And I, I remember that was my, that was my reward for however I rewarded myself when I got done writing. If I were a moron, but I would just, I would flip through the catalog and I would just look at everything. And like, if I had all the money in the world, if I touched it, that could be mine. <laughs> so I don't know. Catalogs have always been my guilty pleasure. So I don't know. Window of opportunity. Well, there you go. I'll never look at catalogs in the same way. So thank you. For ah, you're welcome. <laughs> I've had people send me catalogs. People will send me their catalog. I'm like, okay, now it's getting out of hand. But um, yeah, I don't know. Yeah. And I don't even know why. <laughs> It is fascinating, right? You know, it's, it's that. Well, it is that window of opportunity, or the, you know, I don't know. I, I can't say in because I sort of that's weird. And then it's like, no, there's a tool catalog or something comes in. It's like, yeah, I'm a cup of tea, cup of coffee, sit down, yeah, yeah just relax. And I, what I think, I, I think, kind of like a blank piece of paper. It's kind of this, um, this. It, it can be anything. I let, let's say I could buy anything. What like show dens? Nice. No, oh, that's a thick one. Nice. Yeah, it's a good one. <laughs> Just for the benefit of our listeners, I've just found a Hayden's catalog. Who's just a, it's a local DIY supplier. So there's doors nice. and things and tools and all the rest. And it's like, no, no, I, that's a weird thing you do. It's like, hold on, I'm doing the same thing. I've got catalogs. Yeah, see, see, call your attention to it. <laughs> Where are you on office supplies? Do you like like office supplies? Yeah, I must admit, I, yeah, I do have a bit of a week. So I have a favorite pen. I have favorite sharpies. Um. And my, my notebooks, I'm really quite specific about. So I order the same notebook each time. And um, yeah, so certain things, certain pens get do it for me and certain don't. Yep. And there has to be a certain type of ink. And then depending on what season I'm in in my life is to, to you know, yeah, I don't know. Isn't that funny? Yeah. I've, I, in fact, yeah, the, I love office supplies. Like I, these erasable pens, the, the four color pens and oh, the, yeah. the thin, the thin Sharpies I love. Yeah. Um, 
I, I've gotten to the point too where, and this is another thing I'm, I'm starting to get more either accepting or unapologetic or apathetic. I don't know what the word is, but um, if I find a pen that doesn't bring me joy, like I don't like the way it writes and I'm making excuses for it, I don't like that shade of red, I throw it away. I'm just like, I tried you and I keep going back to the same pens. I'm like, I don't know why I buy anything else. I'm going to keep getting the the Pilot Friction erasable pens, the Sharpie thin pens, you know, it's like, I know what I like and I'm, I'm going to stick with it. Yeah. Oh, listen, I, I'm, I'm with you. <laughs> so, I'll be your, I'll be your sort of weird co-pilot in this. It's like, yeah, yeah, that's fine. Nice. I'm it. Let's go. You know, it's like the same <laughs> thing. It's like, there's nothing, there's nothing worse than a bad pen. It's like, yeah, it just doesn't Ugh. bring me, you know, joys and like I'm, I'm, I'm all over. I'm Sharpies all over. I like these. Oh, it's a big Sharpies. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's, it's one that it's, it's got a, an angle point. So you can either go oh. thin or thick so you can. Oh, nice. Yeah. Yeah. So now are you, are you just the black ink or you go multiple colors or it depends on the season? No, I'm two colors and that's it. Um, black. Oh. And I really like their blue. Mm -hmm. you know, the, the blue is just such a solid blue. And then like say these, these, um, these are these uh, notebooks that I use that they're, they're sort of art pads, so they have like a, a hard back as well. I'm, I'm going to show you it all now. I'm giving up, so it's it's always they always nice. have a hard back and oh, like cool. a, a hundred milligram page. So when you do oh, that, that and a sharpie, and it's like so yeah, it doesn't bleed so through. I'm my mapping and then that and the uh, the the static wall sheets. So I'll just cover the walls here and get the sharpie out whenever yep. I'm in the mood. So yep, yeah, yeah. I've I've never yeah. been drawn into someone's guilty pleasure as much as you've drawn me. <laughs> <laughs> it's like wine, chocolate, crisps, whatever. Ninety percent of the time, people are like, yeah, a nice red wine. Never fucking stationary, and even I'm excited. For it. <laughs> Thank you for bringing it, make work. You know, it's like you are welcome. And we, anytime we can suck people into office supplies, yeah, I'm all for it. <laughs> yeah, it's like there's got there's bound to be a book there. It's like yeah, yeah. So who knows? <laughs> so tell me, I mean, if you were to try and describe your fire in the belly, then in one or two words, Mo, what would they be? connecting with people and making people laugh. Just the connection is that I love that more than anything else. Just finding a way to connect and kind of break down somebody's walls. Like you find the sourpuss first and it, you know, just, just kind of chisel away like a little pest, but connecting with people. It's obviously not word counting, but that's okay. We'll let you away with that. <laughs> <laughs> okay. I'll do it again. Connecting with people, period. <laughs> That's three words, but again, we'll let you away with that. That's okay. Uh. <laughs> no, it's cool. I mean, that's that's it. You know, it is connecting. You know, and it's beautiful. beautiful. Yeah. So tell us where can people learn more, find out more, find your book, find you, track you down, hunt you down, all the above. Yeah. Uh, quickest way is moBarrett.com, and I always drive people to my um my about page, which is uh, moBarrett.com slash FAQ. And so I say it's the it's the answers to the questions you never knew you had. Uh, that's I think I, that's my most irreverent and quirky page. Um, the book Part of My Quirk is available on Amazon. It's also on Audible. I did the uh, I actually recorded in this very closet. So I recorded all the stories in the book. Um, so hardback, paperback, uh, digital and audio on Amazon. I applaud you for that because there's so many authors and I'm a listener. I don't like I said, I have a lot of books, but honestly, it's it's shelf development. It's not. It's actually not something I'm going to read. So I love it when when uh, authors take the time to actually do it in an audible format, and especially when you yeah. do it yourself. So I yeah, there's a lot of work, but again, another I 
never thought I'm like, I'm not reading my own book, but somehow I ended up and a lot of work, a lot of hours, but uh, it was fun. Done for the right reasons. Is there a final message you'd like to leave with our listeners today? No, just get out and connect with people. Um, find a way to laugh and learn and think every day. That's that, that to me is a, that's a successful day. I have a, um, a laugh, learn, think tracker. And it's just, you know, like a habit tracker. It's like just taking that step back and uh, find a way to laugh, find your blooper reel, find a way to learn something, even if that's teaching somebody else something. And then just think about somebody or something and give someone else something to think about. So laugh, learn, think. That's it. Beautiful. No, it's been a pleasure chatting to you. Thank you so much for coming on. You too. On. Time has Thank flown. You. So uh, listen. Yeah. Thank you. It's been it's been awesome. Until the next time. Thank you. Thank you. Well, that was another great episode of Fire in the Belly. You know, this really wouldn't be possible without our great guests taking the time to share their personal journeys. And boy, boy, sometimes it is personal. It's an absolute pleasure to have that. And then to hear the journeys that people have been on. We've loads more episodes coming up soon. And it's always a pleasure to have guests on. If you do happen to know anyone with true fire in their belly, please reach out to us so we can share their journey, lessons and successes. So all that's left to say is have a great day, live with fire in your belly and be the mightiest version of you.